All right. So here we are, conversations with Bob and Bonnie, Bonnie and Bob. Um, this is number 15. And we're going to be exploring a topic today that is in our um, area of the world in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have a majority uh, mindset of, um, I, I guess you would say, like an evangelical Christian uh, mindset here in these parts, this part of, of the world um, that has a uh, this is going to be a classic conversation. So what, what I'm trying to say is this is a pretty classic and well, um, an easy topic to, to talk about because it's talked about so much, especially in the church world, um, in this part of the country. And we're going to be exploring the topic today of why would a good God send people to hell? And I was, uh, this is always kind of in the conversation for me, um, especially as pastor, um, speaking with people who are coming from um, evangelical spaces, fundamentalist spaces. And this is really how I was um, how I was raised and um, to, to believe and to think uh, and, and really thought this the most of my life was I, I was very afraid of going to hell and always had questions about how, well, early on, I didn't have any questions about it because I just thought, you know, God is holy and God cannot stand sin and we are sinful. And so God has to remove God's self from, from my presence or remove me from his if I have any bit of sin in my life. Uh, and so I just thought that was the fair thing, the fair thing to do. Uh, based on what I was listening to and the preaching that was happening in the churches I was attending. So I found this little clip, this uh, video uh, came across my Facebook from a former former teacher of mine at, uh, at Rama, And I was just so glad that he posted it because it really in a short in a short 30 seconds or so kind of sums up the whole idea of what we want to talk about today and um, i'm just going to go ahead and play that clip jeremiah i have a question what's up what would a good god send people to hell god doesn't send people to hell actually we we're already on our way to hell and what god did is he gave us a way out it's like being on a ship that's sinking and someone's like hey there's a lifeboat you can choose to get on the lifeboat but if you reject the lifeboat you automatically go down with the ship it's the same thing our sin was already taking us to hell and god gave us jesus and says this is the lifeboat but if you reject the lifeboat you're automatically going where you are already headed god didn't send you there jeremiah Okay. Uh, thank you for playing. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds pretty sweet and very confident. And it's... Yeah. <laughs> he's completely sincere. He sincerely believes that because he was sincerely taught it by others. And, um, but it, it does not stand up in the face of the Bible for so even again, the evangelicals 
and people with that um, belief usually are the same people who are staunchly biblical-based belief systems, which is fine. I have a very highly biblically-based belief system. I happen to go a little further and actually um, scratch beyond the surface of the translations, which aren't even in agreement with themselves oftentimes. Um, and so went, have been going a little beyond that to the original languages, which we have. I mean, that's the thing people can say, well, but we can only use the King James because that's all we have. It's like, that's, you can't use that excuse anymore. (laughs) We have, um, we don't have the documents, the original documents as Paul or Matthew or the scribes or anyone wrote the very first original manuscripts, but we have ones that were fairly made written, copied from them fairly. We now know with very great accuracy. And the reason we can say that we couldn't say that a hundred years ago, that was actually when modern linguistic and critical analysis of the Bible began about a hundred years ago. And they began to really doubt the authenticity of scriptures. And many people began to say, Oh, it's only four or 500 years old. It's only six or 800 years old. It's only yada, yada, yada. It's been changed so many times. Those arguments, people who still believe that, and there are still modern people in theological institutions that I've heard myself personally, Many of them are on the internet. They're posted. Universities are posting their their um, classes, and I listen to them. And there's still mo- some modern um, scholars are trying who call themselves scholars anyway are saying that's the truth. When that completely uh, is been disproven by the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and as we the more of those we translate, the more we find. Well, wouldn't you know, these documents, some of which um, have been in those caves for 2,000 years, many of them are identical word for word to a lot of the texts that we have had before we found those. And so that means that the ones that we had that went back 600 years are accurate to the ones that they have that are from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the ones that we had from 800 or 1,000 or 400, the ones that, you know, we still have that are exempt, that are 400 years old, that are on parchments, those match nearly identically. Very, very few changes. Unlike many said, oh, they just, they were, they're fairy tales that were made up, you know, by some people a thousand years ago. I've heard a lot of atheists say that, for instance, they're not very accurate in their information. And again, unfortunately, Christians who are listening to debates between Christians and atheists and the Christian who was debating an atheist didn't know any better, didn't know how to argue that point. People now, Christians, fell away because they heard, well, the Bible is just written and made up. I literally have a personal friend of mine that I used to fellowship with for 15 years, and that's what he now believes, because 
he hasn't really listened and and didn't study it enough to go, wait a minute, that that's not accurate. The Dead Sea Scrolls is one of our best proofs, like modern emails that have encryption codes to verify that the message you got is actually the message someone sent. There are these extra little bits at the end to say, nope, nothing's been changed here. That's what the Dead Sea Scrolls did in essence for us, because now we get to look back in history that we didn't have those until you know the 50s and 60s when they were discovered. And now they've been translating them, still translating them um, all these years later, 60, 70, 80 years later, because there were so many of them there were tens of thousands of them. And in fact, they're still finding caches of them. Um, but those are are ancient. Those go back thousands of years Multi and and we're seeing no the scriptures are accurate so that's kind of a little dialogue or rabbit trail on that but these people who believe in hell say they use the bible as their foundation for their doctrines and yet the the hell can be the concept of a hell that involves eternal torment as allowed, even in that guy saying allowed by God can be disproven by the Bible itself over and over. I see. And things just and as equally, things like you said, that sin causes God to be repelled from man. God in his holy state cannot be in the presence of sin. That is one of the biggest lies of the Bible. And is that's what that's actually what the Bible is more than anything, is a message where men consistently sin from the beginning. They keep walking in blindness, walking away, stiff-necking, rebelling, rejecting God, and God is there in their face over and over and over and over. That's the whole Bible. Yeah, the whole, and I, I have a, a little quote from from our good friend, J.D. J.D. Meyer. Meyer. I, I, yeah. We can't talk about the subject of hell without closely including the subject of atonement and atonement theories. And, and there are so many of them. There are so many ways that people can perceive the cross and, and Jesus and what happens on the cross or what happens in the incarnation of God. And I, I just, I have this book underlined in quite a few places. And I found this, this piece that I think might help us come uh, continue the, the conversation and propel us a little bit more. Uh, the penal, the penal substitution view, uh, which is this classic view really that most mainstream evangelical Christianity believes in. Um, that's that now, now. Yeah. Um, I haven't told. Portray God as somewhat schizophrenic regarding how he feels about mankind. On the one hand, he loves us and wants to spend eternity with us. But on the other hand, he hates us and wants to send us all to hell. This perspective about God is partly because the other atonement views take a chronological approach to building their theology of God. They begin in Genesis and work their way through the Bible to learn about God and what God is like. When they do this, they get an impression from many of the Hebrew scriptures that God is angry with sinners and only wants to drown, burn, kill, or slaughter all those who do not obey him. See Genesis through Judges. But then Jesus comes along and takes all this divine anger upon himself 
see the Gospels. In these other views, even though Jesus bore the brunt of God's wrath, God is still angry at humanity even today, so that eventually Jesus comes around to God's way of viewing the world and shows up at the end of time to cut down his enemies and incarcerate, <laughs> incarcerate, incinerate his foes. I just thought that was that was an interesting take because you had just said if you see the Bible the way that the hermeneutic and the lens, the ways that we are seeing the Bible, we see that God is always with the ones who are making the most grievous mistakes as far as they were concerned. But then, yes. as you can see, the way he just spelled that out, we can also all, all see that God creates this humanity in the first parts of Genesis and then pronounces it is very good. And then a few chapters later, he's like, I, I basically cursed the day I ever did this. I'm so sorry I, <laughs> I made this. That, that's how people interpret what the it, translations right? say. But when right. you, that's the thing, the beautiful thing, when you peel back the translations and get back to what's actually going on and even look at the stories without that. I mean, again, who's the first mass murderer? Largest murderer it, it probably in the history, more than Pol Pot or Stalin or Mao Zedong or any of those that killed, you know, tens of millions is the the billion, the first in the billion club. And it's his, his numbers rack up all the time because whatever the Earth's population, it's in halved. And that's yeah. so if we have eight billion now, that means there should be 16 billion and maybe a lot of the. Um, people who think that the world is um, can't handle that because God didn't know what he was doing um, are like, oh, well, then maybe Cain is a hero. He's our original hero. Um, but uh, no, but Cain kills his brother. Yeah. And so he kills off the, the two boys. Now, again, I don't believe they were just two boys. Let me I, I, I don't know if I should say that or not, but that might make some people mad. But. <laughs> um, but um, no, whether not, there was or whether there, there. you're literalists then you're really stuck with that this is the the greatest mass murderer i mean you want to talk about something that is no matter what you say repugnant vile malicious big vicious um violent uh any bad word immoral depraved sinister um malevolent uh harmful that word's coming that up. That would be a lot. the mass murder of half of the humans on the planet when Cain kills Abel, right? And and what do we see? God obviously can't be in his evil, malevolent, villainous, sinister, depraved, vicious, immoral, ungodly base and malignant presence. Oh, wait <laughs> a minute. No, he goes and finds him. <laughs> and not only does he find him, he says, let me tell you what your brother asked me to do and told the universe as the one, the, the prince of the one whom I gave dominion over the universe. See, uh, early on, Abel knew what he was capable of doing. Jesus spoke to the storm and said, pipe down. Abel spoke to the, the elements and said, Go after my brother and don't stop until all of his blood has been absorbed by you. Mm. That's what God says, reports to Cain that Abel demanded when he killed him. Yeah. And does God do that? No. He actually protects Cain from that curse. Right, so what you're saying, um, you know, people trying to follow along in the text is like, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but just from memory, that that Abel's blood cries out. 
Yes. It's crying out to God for vengeance. In the Hebrew, it is a it says it cries out a curse. And the word the Hebrew word means a curse that that is of the type that cannot be overcome and cannot be thwarted to the one whom it was made towards. That's, that's all so, that's so intense in the man. Hebrew that, word. So intense because we see that again. Um, it, it's just so fun for me to, to put all these connections together. And I know it is for you as well, but that Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. It cries out for the curse. It cries out for ultimate punishment. And, and blood. That's blood. where the demand for blood starts. That's where it comes from. It does. Its source is in Abel, not in God. No, I love that. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. It's not from God. It's from us. It's from the, right. it's from the Abel spirit that, that blaming God because God just reported what Abel said. He said, your brother's blood did this and it's a curse. And then everybody goes, see, God cursed Cain for murdering Abel. No, he didn't. He was reporting what Abel cursed. There's a huge difference. If I'm a news broadcaster and I report what an evil dictator said he's going to do, he's going to kill all these people. People can't say Bob James, the reporter said that he's going to have have all these people killed because somebody did this. That's oh, and isn't that, no one would ever that, think that in a million years. In so many relationships, we have this misunderstanding all the time. You know, you're trying to maybe be funny with somebody or or try to say something that someone else said and, and your spouse maybe isn't listening to you completely or listening to you 100%. They go, wait, did you just, what are you saying you're going to do? No, I'm not saying I'm going to do that. I'm saying right. they said they were going right. to and I mean, it's That's just right. it's so classic. And it, and I I do want to put in here on a completely different topic. Um, we are talking about Cain and Abel, and we're talking about these stories. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you're saying the first mass murder, the, the murder that that's innumerable, it, it grows in number every day, the 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 amount of people that that aren't on the earth because uh because Cain killed Abel. And I I just want to add there was a land that was filled with people that Cain went to that 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 the scriptures say I mean we can't overlook the fact that some other started a city a city of who how do you how do you start a city and invite people in if you haven't birthed them yet how do you go and get a wife if there aren't wives to be had where everybody says oh no they they had kids and they lived so long they just waited until they had great great granddaughters and then they went and married them okay And you find that you you say that the Bible is our source of how we should live our lives. Are you saying that's how we should live our lives? Go and marry. Just wait until it's, I don't know, our great, great grandchild and then go and marry her. Bob is in rare form today. So let's go ahead and Sorry. just hop, hop, skip and a jump. No, I love it. I love it when, <laughs> when there's like this, like kind of, you know, come on, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun for me. So I, this is the kind of conversation that I, that I hope people have a chance to see from us and hear from us, because these are the conversations that we had so er much early on and I just really enjoy them. So I, I'm not saying that in any way to be offensive. I'm like, yay, we're in rare form. Let's talk about hell. Yay. (laughs) So, you know, why, why, you know, we haven't, we're talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're talking about the, the Genesis accounts, um, 
and and blood and crying out. And I guess I did bring up atonement theory because you're going to have to talk about some of that and how we think about heaven and hell. Um, but why would a good, I mean, if you just had to answer the question, like this guy on our video, woman walks up to guy and says, why would a good God send people to hell? Right. What, do you, what is your Bob response sitting at the top well, of the drive through? So the simple, a lot of the simple is that most of the concept that people have, I would even maybe, maybe it just depends on the situation. Sometimes I ask people, what do you mean when you say hell? And then I give them a chance because kind of like Jesus, sometimes he's like, well, how do you read it? Let me, let me, let me get on the same page with you. So I know where we're coming from. What is your current theological view? And then I, so I can dialogue with you in a way that we, since, since we may not ever see each other again, let's, let's let, let me give you the best answer that I can based on knowing the question you're really asking. So what I think I would have asked her is, when you say hell, what is your definition of hell? And then she may have, because it's most likely what she's heard, because this would be where someone might find that completely repulsive. And God would seem like an evil um, thug that would send people to a place of unending, as one person says, and I love this one little added word that he put in there, unending ending exquisite painful torment mm. it's like that is like you know like because that seems to have this indication that if you just keep suffering the same pain over and over even in our natural state people be, begin to get numb to that and they can somehow find a way to get into a, a level of tolerance. You know, and you hear about people like that were put in cold imprisonments or something. And they, after a while, they said it just became my norm. And so it wasn't as hellish, but exquisite eternal torment seems to imply that there is a precision and a sentient thought to constantly be tweaking it so that it is ever hellish and tormentive, which is exactly when I was a child, when I was five, that's, I already kind of had figured that out. That's what I envisioned when my grandfather said, that's where my parents were going for smoking, which started me on my whole trek on this, because I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. That's Jesus would never do that. Mine is so, a, you know, and, and, and when I, when I asked, you know, when I would ask as a young person, people in my church and, and my, you know, my pastor, what, why, how could a, how could a good, good God, I mean, even a good parent wouldn't do some of the things that you're describing that God, God would do. And even, even, <laughs> I mean, even if you look at what Jesus is asking his own disciples to do with regard to forgiveness and loving your enemies and all this other stuff that we're commanded, commanded and told it to do in, in the service of this, of this message of this faith. We we're like, well, God can't do that. God can't be around right. his enemies. God can't eat with enemies. God can't even smell sin. God can't be in the, even in the vicinity of sin, which, right. which people. It's, people it's contrary to the entire Bible. I don't know how you believe it, but I know I believed it. I know I believed it for many, many years. And and right. when 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 well 
intending um, intention people would come to me and ask me some of and have some of these thought experiments I was like you just basically don't understand sin and hell and holiness like the reason that you're trying to like dumb this down and and put God on our level and 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 equate God to a good parent and and what about how you know you, you just obviously don't understand the pure holiness and highness of God if you are going to put it down it's like I was just so missing the perspective and the the approach of, of really where God is right I had such a separate view of me and God and holy and sinning and yeah. evil. I, I just I saw them in in just vastly different categories. Right. And and which is one of the reasons why I'm wanting, you know, I'm, some of the books I'm working on, one of them is, you know, and I still don't know how many, but the 10 worst translated verses of the Old Testament and then maybe one in the New Testament. And then maybe later will be the 10 worst of the Bible. And, you know, I don't know. But 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 all those terms, see, glory is a word that is completely been misunderstood and, and now warped into something that has nothing looks nothing like the original Hebrew. Holy is another one because well, they that's say exactly what you're saying, and that's why it's it's brilliant to ask. Well, what do you when you say hell? What do you what do you mean by hell? And that, and that's where that's where any good uh, arguments going to going to start is is what what are we talking about? What do you what, are, the, what are these words that we're talking about, and what are the concepts behind them? So then you think, okay, let's let's look bounce around the scripture just a little bit and say, um, hell. Is is that a place of eternal torment? And the scriptures that people will use are like, say, even Jesus when uh, the unforgiving servant. Okay, this guy goes in, he's forgiven this huge debt. It's basically a national debt. And then he walks out and the angels are watching. And which is interesting. I find that interesting. But they are watching and they see him go up to somebody who owed him 20 bucks and he grabs him by the neck and says, pay me every penny. Give me my 20 bucks. And he goes, give, he says the exact in the Greek, it's word for word. Give me time and I will repay you. Every penny is basically what the man says, which is exactly word for word. What he had asked the King for his. And he says, no, rather than responding the way the King did was, you know what? I'm going to actually release you from all the debt. You don't owe me anything. Mm. And all the guy did was ask for, he gave him more than he asked for, mm. which again, people miss that. Like if I ask God, will you forgive me? He goes, Oh, I'm going to do that and more. But when we think of, because our, if our idea of a God is that he's unforgiving and obviously this fellow didn't get it. So he turns around and now he is going to, Act in the way most people, the way you act is the way that you believe your God acts. That's what psychology actually tells us why they say the the current this is people. I haven't heard a lot of people say this, but this is what I've been hearing because I, I listen to so many type teachers and I listen to some of modern psychologists. And they're the reason that they're saying that Christianity is one of the greatest evils. I kept trying to figure out what's the root of that. So I followed that rabbit trail one day and found that it's because psychologists say that what, when it comes down to the way we treat other people around us, 
both good and bad, people that we perceive as our enemies and non, but primarily our enemies, is exactly the way that we believe our, the God that we believe in treats people. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, ding, ding. that's what Jesus was saying in that parable. This guy wasn't transformed by the gracious God when he went and met him. So he goes out. And in his newfound freedom, he finds somebody who who he feels owes him a debt, has has done some offense against him, because debt is usually a, one of the major types of an of, a, a sin. Someone has sinned against you. That's a debt that they have incurred. So he finds this fellow with a debt, he, or he's maybe he's just incurred the debt because he cut him off in traffic or whatever, because it's a metaphor. And rather than act in the way that this God that he just experienced of massive freedom, who gave him more than he asked for, more than he could have thought or imagined, he gave him complete freedom from 100% of the debt, not more time to be in debt, but it's now completely forever released. And rather than go with that God that he just saw, he didn't let it transform him. He walked into life and he sees the next person, cuts him off, and he treats him like the God that he thought he was incurring. It was in front of the first time where he at best he hoped maybe he'd give him more time. And he then didn't even do that. And so he just says, no, go to debtor's prison until every penny's paid. Right. So but even that people will say, see, that's. And which again, that whole thing is Jesus is saying, that's not the way God is. But even if it were when, cause then at the end it says, okay, well then take him and lock him up until he, and even all his children have paid every penny. But it's because God, what Jesus was saying, you're going to live with, and you're going to experience in life freedom or torment relative to the kind of God that you that's believe it. you is you uh, it, it, way God is. But but the literal interpretation says, see how God did that? God got right. the retribution and went ahead and, and said, hey, look, if you're not going to be forgiving, then I'm going to do this to you. And right. we're not seeing you just said that so beautifully. If you the way that you see yourself and the way you see others is how you're going to believe that the way you, know, you see God treating you. That's actually what in some psychologists are realizing. And it's this higher existential God level, treating you. the God that you believe in. And so that's why they say we need to oh, eliminate okay. the God of the Bible because they say, then they follow up. And that's why a lot of the atheists say we need to get rid of religion. It's the worst thing in the world because their interpretation of Christianity is that God created hell and sends people to it. But see, if that's not so, which it isn't, then Christianity isn't a horrible thing. It's just the form that it, it's currently taking. But here's the twist. Here's the, I said all that to get to this. Even at worst case, let's say God is this malevolent one who just puts people in prison. Listen how long it was for. It still has an end date until every penny's paid. He and his wife and his children until every penny's paid. Well, that means there's a, a cessation at some point. 
but the, the and and yet these most modern um this this new modern version of an eternal torment is no there is no end date it's forever and ever and ever well then that actually flies in the face of scriptures even like that one or in the under the law then we can say let's go to the law they say well the law god gave the law it's like well begrudgingly because they refused for a generation for for a long time anyway to when he frees them from egypt he says now just listen to me and obey me and we'll be good and so the first 18 chapters of exodus is all about that and then suddenly they keep resisting and won't do that so god goes Okay, Moses, I guess we're giving them a law because they don't want it inside. They don't want to listen to me and then from an internal uh, willingness do it. So now we're going to just have to give them a bunch of rules because they don't want to listen with their ear. They want rules that they can just read and then know what they can do. But even within that law, every single thing, no matter what you did, the worst punishment the, the, the egregious ones, known sins, when you commit murder, when you commit, uh, when you uh, dishonor your parents, all these, no, when you know, and those are all known sins, by the way, most of the, uh, the, the sacrament, the things that you did and gave in the temple that were um, offerings for sin offerings, those were all for unknown sins. Things you did, like you walked over a grave and it turns out, oh, I didn't know that was, that was a grave. Sorry. Well, then there was, that's okay. There's a sacrifice for that. But the known sins, there were no sacrifices for those. Hmm. The only thing you had there was they said, you will go to the father. We will stone you. You're going to stand before the father. And then he's the one that's going to judge. We have no idea what that judgment will be. That's what they, that's what they believed. They didn't know. They always said, and perhaps it will be the grace and mercy of God. He will, he will give mercy upon your soul, which is why people, even to this day, when they're like executing them a hundred years ago, and they used to do that, they go, may God have mercy on your soul because you're going to go see him. And that's what they believed. But we've turned it today. We've gotten so far from what the Bible talks about. Now there's no, there's no, and, and oh, and the worst thing though that you could do is, was death. When you died, you paid your debt is done. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, now we're going to murder you. We're, we're going to stone you, but then that's not going to be enough. Now God's going to want more. He's going to want forever. Yeah. It's like, well, the Bible never talks about forever payments. That's ridiculous. There yeah. was always, you pay that you, if you stole, you double it. You pay that's your, you know, or whatever your restoration was when you did this, then you pay a cow. I mean, it was always some kind of a rest when it, there's an, there's a, there's a finish date to it. Mm-hmm. Just like in our modern, modern courts, there's an end date to it, except again, see, because that's gotten twisted. Now it's life. And then they put you in there to be in torment until you die. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sorry, but again, this is probably only my perspective. If I were ever wrongly accused and I could see there was no way out, all the DNA was, you know, I'd be like, you know what? Just take me out. I don't want to be in here. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I know where I'm going. But anyway, but it's just like no matter how you look at it, it doesn't add up to the God that really is actually when you really look at these texts and really dig down, there's not eternal torment. 
nor is there separation from God, because again, even David, like he said, although it is Sheol, which we, when we did our series on hell, we talked about all the words. Behold, if I'm feeling great, you're with me, God. On my good days, you're with me. And on the days when I'm at my lowest low, when I find that I am making my bed in Sheol, and as some Bibles say, some translations, when I find that I awake and I, I'm, I'm lying in hell, behold, thou art with me. Mm. And, and, so, Christ, and that, that beautiful lyric of a song recently, Christ is lower still. As as yes. low as you can find yourself, Christ is lower still. He's, he's un, yeah. under that. He's yeah. He kneels to wherever we are at. Like yeah. the mass murderer, God comes and kneels and says, "Buddy, this is what's going on." But you know what? I got a plan. Adam and Eve. Everybody says God cursed them. It's like, no, they, when you, again, when you see that they said, we want to live separated from that tree, God's going, again, that's why it, that makes so much sense when it's properly translated that do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil apart from in a separated way, forgetting what, why it exists to be at the example of my love, that all of the universe is a love message for me. Because in the day you begin to do that, it, you will begin to be separated. And in separation, you will find a cessation to your joy and happiness and all the things. And so again, when they did that, made that decision, God's like, well, let's get them out. That's they want. So it says they separate lest they now eat from the tree. So he's like, okay, they made a decision. They want to eat. They want to live life separated from the tree. So God obeys them. He serves them and says, let's get her done and moves them out. And everybody goes, see, God curses them and puts them. No, he didn't. And then he just tells them, here's now what, what is ahead. But, but I've already, I've already got a fix. Let me tell you about my fix for your mess. See, again, that's not, that's not separating himself for their evil sin any more again than a parent when a child poops his pants gets goes, I can't deal with that. Sends in somebody with a hose, shoots him from the other side of the room with a cold ice. I mean, what, what is people's concept of God? It's not even that of a, of a, of a nurse or a parent. It's like, so, so odd and funny to me. Well, and but, what the Bible seems to be saying in in so many of these accounts where uh, we're talking about Sheol or a hell or um, Gehenna, you know, these kinds of things, it's the hell that we create on earth. It's the hell that we create because of our mentality and it's the hell we create in our minds. It's the hell we create for ourselves um, by being, by it's simple words, forgetting who we are and whose we are and acting in ways that hurt and harm and hold over punitive um, right. judgments and um, and payments. Um, but yeah, we've we got to wrap this up, man. This is Rosie's saying we got to be done. <laughs> um, yes, the further we separate ourselves from the tree, the, the faster. Um, uh, death comes faster. Uh, uh, a a unhappy life ensues. They're 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 perfectly in parallel.
But the, the great thing is the converse has happened is there too. We now have direct access to the tree of life. Yeah. That's that's why Jesus did what he did so that we could all die as children of Adam who had made a executive decision for all of us that we none of us could could eat from the tree of life. We want to we want to be separated from it. And Jesus is like, well, I got a fix for that, too. So, again, that's where we'd all been placed in Christ. We all die in Christ. We were all raised with Christ. We're all brand new creatures. We've been brought into a new kingdom and we have access. And that's why Jesus says in, in the Last Supper now from now on knowing the next time meal they ate would be after his death, burial and resurrection. He's like, you will be able to eat remembering the, the polar opposite to the word minime in, in Genesis two sixteen, separated from forgetful of. Okay. I am so grateful that we had, had a chance to talk about this today and I am going to uh, say goodbye for now. And let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And until we have a conversation again, um, we will we could talk about this for many, many, many hours. But I think we got a good start on it. And I hope that you got out of it of this, at least that no, God is not sending anyone to hell. And guess what? You're not sending yourself there either. That's the end of the story for the day. All right, more to come later on until we meet again.